Thank you for joining I Am Possible, which is India's first future tech meets sustainability podcast. And today, I'm delighted and honored to have with me Dr. Ujwal Chaudhary, who was previously the biomedical engineer at the University of Tulane, and currently he's the managing director and co-founder of the ALS Voice GmbH. So, Ujwal, really appreciate you taking time and being part of the podcast. So, why don't we start with a small introduction and background? Uh, thank you, Eddie. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, so I graduated PhD in biomedical engineering from Florida International University. After my PhD, I joined University of Tübingen under Professor Nils Birbaumer as a postdoctoral researcher. During my postdoctoral research, we developed a different kind of brain-computer interfaces for communication with individuals in locked-in and complete locked-in state. So at this point, I would like to uh, delineate the difference between what is locked in and what is completely locked in state. So when a patient can use their eye for communication with the rest of the body in a paralyzed state, they are said to be in a locked in state. In the case of ALS, most individuals disorder progresses until they lose control of the eye muscle. Then they are said to be in completely locked in state. So during my eight years of research as a postdoctoral researcher and as a group leader, we enabled communication with different uh, individuals in locked in and completely locked in state and recently we published a paper in nature communication where we showed for the first time that formation of complete sentences by someone in complete completely locked in state is possible using just the brain signal and at this point i would like to uh, uh, define what is brain computer interface for people who are not so much familiar with the concept of brain-computer interface. So uh, I, will, I will explain this concept with a simple example. Let's say that uh, I'm an able-bodied person. I can walk, I can talk, I can use all my external extremities. But many of people, they are differently able or disabled, let's say, for example, where they cannot use their feet or cannot talk. In this case, what can happen is that we can use their brain signal and interface it with external electronic or mechanical devices. So for example, someone cannot, if someone cannot uh, drive the wheelchair with their hand, then it is a possibility that they can use their brain signal to drive the wheelchair using just the brain signal. And for example, if someone is lying on the bed and they want to uh, open the door, turn the TV, open the window, turn the fan and things like that, with just the brain signal and thought, they will are able to control this kind of devices. So this is basically the overall uh, functionality of brain computer interface. So, so Dr. really appreciate you explaining both locked in, complete locked in state and also brain computer interface. I would like you to kind of further elaborate on brain computer interface, you know, because, you know, when you say that we can right now read data from the brain, how do you go about doing that? And what is it that is required to read the data? Definitely, very good question. So let's start with uh, the signal. What kind of signal we can read from the brain? Okay, let's say that uh, there is a participant and the goal of the participant is, for example, to move, on, let's say, turn on the light on and turn the light off. Just to, to so we, what does this mean? We need two commands: zero to turn turn off the light, and one to turn on the uh, to turn on the light. So this means 
that we need two different kind of signal from the brain which has to be interfaced with our smart uh, light uh, light system so for this the patient need to do two different kind of task and and they should do that consistently for example if i want to turn on the light then i have to imagine well when i'm not moving a body i'm just sitting uh, sitting at rest then i have to imagine that i'm running i'm running so if someone is doing this kind of task then it will produce one kind of brain signal and now for the second kind of signal they have to imagine that they are at rest this will produce a different kind of signal so they have to do two different kind of task to produce two different kind of signal which will be interfaced with our external light switch for on and off zero and one so this two different kind of task two different kind of signal is translated into a two different kind of command so this is the basic functionality of 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 a brain computer face what's the size of the implant and what are the signal reading capabilities of that implant <clears throat> yes so there are two different kind of brain computer interfaces non invasive and invasive non invasive means we are acquiring signal from the top of the scalp so there's nothing inside the brain we put our electrodes on the top of the scalp and then acquire the signal now in terms of uh, invasive bci that different kind of invasive bci depending upon the recording system now if we are uh, so there is one technology which is called as electrocorticography it it means that there is a thin sheet of uh, a thin sheet uh, which consists of electrode and that goes and lies on the top of the cortex while the other one is microelectrode where uh, there is a small grid of electrodes it goes and pierces and goes inside the cortex so these are two different kind on depending on depending upon the kind of uh, recording technology you are using electrocorticography or microelectrode the size varies okay now in in the case of microelectrode it again depends on the number of grids you are going to use so i will just give an example of one grid so one grid is about 1.5 by 1.5 mm and it consists of 64 microelectrode and then if you increase the number of grid then so it will be 2 times 1.5 meter by 1 sorry millimeter by 1.5 millimeter while in the case of uh, electrocorticography where you have a thin sheet which consists of different electrode it depends upon the size of the sheet so there are different sizes for that these implants that you use what is the kind of data that's being collected from them are these just uh, your neural signals which are firing and if those are the data's being connected how do you understand the language of that how how does it get analyzed what's the is there an ai algorithm which is being used by it and if that is so can you talk about that in our case where we have used microelectrode the microelectrode they record the neural firing of the neurons because you know that neuron they communicate by uh, transmission of chemical and by electrical signal so both both ways so uh, microelectrode they record or acquire this neural firing um so in our case what the patient did so we instructed the patient to do two different kind of task consistently like i explained which is the basic uh, fundamental of any kind of brain computer interface the patient has to uh, when it is binary 0 and 1 the patient has to do two, two different kind of task 
um later on I means uh, after after uh, when we wanted to know what what the patient was doing he said he's he's attempting the eye movement so what was he trying to do this is our interpretation of his response is that when he wanted to uh, uh increase the frequency of the sound wave then he tried to move his eyes so this uh, elicited a different one kind of a neural response neural firing and when he wanted to decrease the frequency of the sound wave then he did not move his eyes or did not attempt to move his eyes so this elicited a different kind of neural firing so we took uh, two different kind of neural firing which was converted into a binary 0 and 1 and interfaced with our speller where he went uh where for example if he wanted to select a character then he increased his neural firing to select a particular character and if he wanted to skip uh, skip a, a a particular option then he decreased the neural firing uh when you talk about als that's a complete locked in state so he's not moving his eyes because that he, he cannot that's that's the problem right so right. are you saying that it's just him imagining moving the eyes and 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 the data is being collected is that what you're saying um so uh, now this is our interpretation I means we cannot be sure what he is doing because um when we implanted him we instructed him uh, explicitly that he has to do certain kind of task like move his move his head move his hand move his feet move his tongue I means by moving i mean to say imagine because remember he is completely locked in he cannot move any of those things he has to attempt moving or, or imagine moving so we instructed him to do these tasks and we uh, recorded the neural firing although we got we 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 recorded neural firing response to these tasks but they were not consistent enough to design a decoder to control the speller uh, so we tried this for about 80 days uh, without any success then uh, professor birbomar who is the pioneer of neurofeedback he said that we should let the patient decide his own strategy and and he should do that consistently so uh, we told him okay so now please do whatever you want to do uh, but do it consistently okay and immediately he was able to uh, modulate the frequency of the sound which we presented to him so it was like a, a sinusoidal wave like pa 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 and his task was to either increase the frequency or to decrease the frequency sound wave and he was able to do that perfectly uh, in, uh, immediately so uh, and of course it was we were amazed that wow he can do it but we wanted to know how is he doing it because this is the question you were asking and we also wanted to know how was he able to modulate the frequency of the sound wave so uh, when when he started spelling and forming complete sentences with his uh, neural firing uh, so i was there i asked could you please tell us how are you doing it because we all want to know because this is amazing incredible so he formed one phrase eye movement uh, and and this is our interpretation that he was attempting to move his eyes now there is a bit of story uh, behind behind this phrase um we started to work we started working with this patient in 2018 and at that time he was still able to move his eyes but he could not use the eye tracker for communication so at this point uh, i would like to uh, make it uh, clear that to uh, 
why was he not able to use the eye tracker even though he had the eye movement because to use the eye tracker you have to fixate your gaze on a character then the then the camera in front of you look at your gaze and enables the selection right it's it's, it's the technology uh, but in this kind of patient as the disease progresses they even lose the ability to fixate their gaze although they can move the eye but they cannot fixate the gaze so i um, i visited uh, this patient for the first time it was uh, uh, professor birbomar and i we visited for the first time and uh, we we saw that that the patient could still move his eyes and with that eye movement the uh, the family always tried to decipher his yes and no answer in response to their question so the family used to hold a paper with alphabet arranged in colored sector and pronounce each each option to which the patient said yes and no by his eye movement um so i saw this interaction and then we designed a, a brain computer interface based on his eye movement and colored his schema for communication so basically we trained him to move his eyes in a particular way so for example if you uh, we, we we said if you want to say, if you want to say yes please move your eye to the left if you want to uh, say no please you move your eye to the right so with this simple eye movement strategy we enabled communication with him and uh, he was listening to these uh, options auditorily uh, through his, um, to the sound system then he listened to it and then he already knew the schema that okay the sector yellow has a to f for example the sector uh, red has some other characters the sector blue has some other characters so on and on so if you wanted to select a then he said for so the uh, the speller starts then the speller said yellow if he wants to select the sec sector yellow he moved his eyes we recorded the eye eye movement and translated into a command which enabled selection of sector yellow then he went in inside the sector and he can either move his eyes in one direction to say no or in other direction to say yes so with this eye movement he was able to skip or select a character and on and on um so with this simple strategy he was able to select characters to form words and sentences this was when he was still able to move his eyes but as you know in the case of ls even the eye movement goes away but the brain is still functioning um so it was november 2018 where he formed for the last time uh, a complete uh, sentence with his eye movement and after that uh, he, he he wasn't able to do that he was although saying yes and no with eye movement but could not uh, select character to form words and sentences so we implanted him for the we implanted him in march 2019 uh, try different strategy did not work and finally in july 2019 he was able to form on sentence so it was a, for about 7 month where he had no means of communication and when he got the chance to communicate the first thing he said was to uh, change the direction of his head movement as uh, sorry to to change the position of his head because the caretaker according to the best of the ability had placed the head in a certain way but when he got a chance to uh, say something he said please change the direction of uh, my uh, my head placement so this is like a freedom and empowerment where we he got the voice to say how he should be taken care of right how cool is that you know because a patient who's been in a locked in state and your technology and what you're doing allows somebody to kind of regain a bit of his 
capabilities, you know, how exciting. I'm sure you must be feeling, you and your team must be feeling really proud of your achievement. Would you like to talk about your hardware and software? Uh, you know, I mean, both your implant and, and the software algorithm behind it. Were they proprietary in-house developed or were you, was it uh, through an extra, externally sourced platform uh, company? Yeah. So the hardware comes from a company which is called uh, BlackRock, BlackRock Neurotech. It's a company which is based in U.S. They they are developing, uh, they're doing a great job, amazing job. They're de developing uh, microelectrodes. Actually, in the U.S., they've already implanted about, uh, I think, 29 or 30 uh, patients. Yeah, 29 or 30 patients. Uh, and these patients uh, had uh, brain trauma or accident or spinal cord injury or uh, tetraplegia but all these patients they can still move a part of the body they still had eye movement and uh, with the brain implant from blackrock they're able to they are able to move the curse on the screen they're able to move the robotic arm and things like that very cool amazing but for the first time we used their uh, microelectrode and implanted a complete locked-in state patient okay so we we, we use the hardware and we developed the software in-house in so at that time, uh, Professor Birbaum and I, we were uh, a part of team in, in the WIS Center in Geneva. And that's, this team uh, together developed the software uh, which enabled communication. So you started with the University of Engine and your, when you started, you were looking at FNIRS and EEG-based BCI system. And now you've moved to intracortical-based BCI system. Would you like to talk about that? Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, so, like I said in the very beginning, brain-computer interface, the fundamental of the, the fundamental principle remains the same. Whether it is non-invasive, where we acquire signal from the top of the scalp or from inside the brain, the fundamental remains the same. Where the participant is performing some task, in response to the task, there is a brain signal. We acquire the brain signal, process it, generate the control signal, and interface it with a external device. So irrespective of what kind of signal you are acquiring, this principle remains the same. Now, EEG and FNIRS, they are a non-invasive um, uh, brain uh, signal measurement technology. In the case of EEG, we acquire the, the summed activity of the neuron in the brain. Hmm. In the case of FNIRS, we acquire the metabolic change related to brain activation. Uh, so we use this technology uh, enabled uh, well we use this technology to and we tried to develop a means of communication for someone in completely locked in state but uh, FNIRS and EEG has its own limitation because you know that when we acquire the signal which is coming through our scalp and scalp the it's already filtered the many of the component gets filtered because of, because of the physiology and anatomy uh, with our technology we were able to uh, uh, classify the yes and no response but with a very limited classification accuracy and that too this was very slow so we knew from the very beginning that we are limited by the classification accuracy and this is slow very slow and this because of these two factors we won't be able to enable communication with someone in completely locked in state so we were looking for a technology which can ultimately uh, allow us to enable communication with completely locked in state patient and uh, because of the because of the physiology we knew that 
the signal which we get directly from the scalp is much more richer as compared to the signal which we get from the scalp. With this uh, knowledge, we uh, adopted this invasive technology and uh, the result is in front of you. Do you see a future where someday we will be, you will be able to achieve the same result which you have got through an implant in a non-invasive manner? Because no matter what, you know, when you're talking about uh, invasive BCI, you, you, you op cracking, opening the skull or through a, a special, uh, maybe like a neural link kind of uh, uh, invasive, but you know, the, it's not uh, like a full-blown uh, uh, surgery. Is, is there a way where we could look at a non-invasive way in the future rather than a complete invasive BCI? So uh, that is our goal, actually. I mean, and our philosophy, I'll tell you our philosophy. Our philosophy is that, that invasive remains the last resort. We're not going to implant immediately to anybody. Uh, we will uh, always start with a non-invasive mean. And our goal at the moment is to increase the sensitivity of the non-invasive BCI where we can also uh, enable communication with someone in completely locked in state with our non-invasive BCI. But this is a very challenging task, but we are trying. Um, like I said, the invasive is the last resort when all the means of technology fails and the patient is still want to have a means of communication. Then uh, we propose to them uh, uh, invasive means. So we're trying. Uh, we, we are hopeful. Let's see what happens in future. <laughs> right, right. So this research has been done with only one patient at, at this point in time. Now you're looking at uh, exploring the same thing with other patients so that, you know, the entire thing can be corroborated that, okay, this is really being helpful to the patients. Are you reaching out definitely. to other patients? Yeah, definitely. Our goal is to replicate it so that we can say that it is, it was not by chance, but uh, yes, it is definitely possible to communicate with someone in complete logging state. For that, we need to replicate it replicate it we have few potential candidates and uh, very soon we will start the whole process of approval and uh, arranging the 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 whole implantation process and it, it's going to take some time but uh, we are in the process and we are hopeful that uh, we will replicate our our finding from the first patient are there any updates with the with this research that you would like to share with the audience <laughs> definitely, definitely. So you know that we have a non-profit organization which is called ALS Voice. The goal of the non-profit organization is to provide a customized means of communication solution starting from the non-invasive to invasive brain-computer interface for patient in locked in and completely locked in state. The goal of the organization is that, let's say a patient comes to us, uh, he or she is unable to use the eye tracker for communication. We start with a non-invasive means. Uh, we know that there are several non-invasive means which will work with these patients. Then we, we, we start with in, in a very phased manner with non-invasive BCI, but uh, we know that over a period of time, uh, as the disease progresses, they won't be able to use the non-invasive BCI. And at the end, we propose to them an uh, invasive solution, which we, know for, which we know now for sure that will enable com communication. We are looking for uh, donors, funders, and supporters uh, so that we can... Uh, provide this technology to people who do not have means to finance themselves. But I'm pretty sure the society comes, comes together, uh, we can provide this technology to people who really needs it. Um, so we are preparing uh, 
there are few candidates we are raising money for them so that we can enable communication with them so i would like to request to uh, request to the viewer if you know someone or if you are capable of helping us then your help is uh, really really appreciated lovely yeah i hope that it reaches out to a wider audience because i think the entire healthcare is upended because globally around the world there's some great innovations which is happening you know and there's people such as yourself trying to push the boundaries of what is possible in the space of healthcare if besides the complete locked in state patients what are the other healthcare applications you see arising from the technology that you're building the possibility is limitless you know i always say that it is our imagination which limits us so uh, <laughs> so if we can imagine we can achieve it um, so the brain computer interface technology itself it has immense potential for example if someone is lying on the bed and they they do not have a caretaker uh, with them at that particular point of time who can attend to their wishes so i'm lying on my bed i cannot move then with my brain signal i can open the window if i want the fresh air i can turn on the radio if i want to listen to something i can turn on the tv switch the channels i can even control a, a robot which can bring food to me so look at the possibilities so i'm saying it's all depend upon what you can imagine if you can imagine we can achieve it right so would you like to talk a little bit more about the micro electrodes you know i mean which captures your brain signal today it it reads a certain part of the brain what would be the timelines that you would give for us being able to understand the complete human brain is that a possibility or is it too far fresh because 80 billion neurons 100 trillion synapses so so far we have only uh uh investigated neurons but there there are other uh, other cells in the brain glia we have not uh, investigated that and very recently researches research are coming on where they are saying that glia too have 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 roles in different activity which we perform so understanding the complete brain people all over the world there are so many neuroscientists amazing neuroscientists working working day and night uh, to understand them i we are getting close but i i will i would still say we are quite far away <laughs> uh, from uh, from understanding the complete brain it's it's a very challenging task i must tell you that can you talk about you know the works of your peers that has caught your attention and you feel is at the cutting edge of brain computer interface you know in science we always stand on the shoulder of giant so if i say that it is just my achievement i would be then i would be delusional and lying you know because somebody people uh, many many researchers they came together and they developed microelectrodes because to implant in in human you have to first do the animal testing you have to do the biocompatibility testing you have to do so many kind of test before you can even implant on the human and we are not the first one who implanted it right i said there there before before this patient there are there are about 30 patients who have been implanted so this implant before us showed that it is safe it can be used for a long period of time and how should we implant it so using all this cumulative knowledge we arrived yes okay we can use it so let's use it you see the cumulative knowledge and uh, although we implanted in complete lockdown which is for the first time but it was it is based on the work of so many before us so many scientists who are doing amazing job before us um yeah that's all i have to say for this question
Yeah, I, I think there's some really great innovation happening in the space from startups to universities who are doing some really, really excellent work in the space of neuroscience, neurotech, and brain computer interface. Would you like to share your roadmap ahead? <laughs> yeah, like I said, we have a, now we have a nonprofit and the goal is to provide a means of communication to different uh, patient in lock-in and computer lock-in, but this involves the development of different kind of technology which is not existing at the moment. Like one of your question was, can a non-invasive BCI uh, provide the same kind of communication which we enabled using an invasive BCI? So this needs to be developed, this needs to be tested. And uh, this is one of the goal which we have to, to increase uh, the capability of a non-invasive BCI. In terms of invasive BCI, um, if you see, although the patient is communicating, they, uh, the speed is about one character per minute. One character per minute is quite slow. So uh, moving forward, uh, when, when we implant someone and we are working on that, then our goal will be to improve the speed and so that uh, the patient can um, at an incredible speed or accuracy uh, perform uh, communication. So these are the kind of development which we are working on and our goal always remains the same to uh, empower people using technology. Dr. Ajwal, thank you. Really appreciate you taking time, being part of the podcast and sharing your insights and what you're building. Wish you and the team the very best. I, I think what you're doing is extremely noble because there's so many uh, uh, patients in the world, you know, possibly millions who are with complete locked in, a locked in state. And maybe this technology gives a ray of hope to them. And, and I think this brain-computer interface, once we kind of understand the language of the brain, the applications that could arise from there could be pretty much endless. So I'm excited for that space. And I, this, that's the reason I do this podcast. So wish you and the team the very best. And to my listeners, if you like what you see in here, then please press the uh, subscribe button. Until next time, see you guys. Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate this. Uh, it, was, it was a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for your time to listening to me. Thank you, Eddie.